Welcome to the Regeneration Newsroom podcast of May 2019. This is a joint venture between Ethan Solovyev's Regeneration Newsroom and the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, where we, Ethan Solovyev and myself, Koen van Seyen, go through the most interesting Regeneration News items of the month. Good to be back, Ethan. Great to be with you. You added a word to your podcast. Definitely. And it's, yeah, I mean, after agriculture, I, I thought we had to discuss food as well. There's such a strong connection. And actually, podcast that just went live has a, um, has a great connection between that. But we'll discuss that later. Let's do a very brief intro into who are you and who am I for the people that uh, listen to this podcast for the first time. My name is Ethan Solovyev. I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at How Good Inc., a global sustainability data and analytics firm. And I'm also a farmer in upstate New York, uh, working with apples and grass-fed sheep. Over to you. Great. I'm Koen van Seyen. I'm based in Europe. I work with an uh, impact investing nonprofit community of impact investors called Tonic. And I um, created a podcast on investing in regenerative agriculture and also food in 2016 at the end of the year. And we're approaching 30,000 streams. So it's, it's been a while. And I work at an asset manager uh, here in Milan, in Italy, um, focused on regenerative food and agriculture in Italy. And of course, Kuhn gets the much sexier office in Milan. I'm just here in rural upstate New York. Um, but let's get to the news. There was an amazing study that came out this last month from uh, a very respected international life cycle assessment firm called Qantas. It was funded by General Mills uh, and focused on the beef production of white oak pastures in Georgia. Yeah, and what my, I mean, I love the study. I love the infographic because often these things are very, very dry and they actually manage to, to make it quite, quite visual. I mean, I have a lot of questions on it. Um, but my main takeaway was actually that traditional life cycle assessments, they don't look at soil carbon capture. And they, I think, also don't look at the loss of soil carbon. So they miss like this gigantic um, negative and potentially positive impact, actually, of, uh, in this case, beef. And so they, they actually were able to show that um, per kilo of fresh meat, um, the, the way of uh, them operating actually was storing or actually a, a negative impact of um, minus 3.5 kilos, which is very interesting compared to any other beef or any other soy, etc. But the main thing was like LCAs don't even look at soil carbon, which is quite shocking to be coming from such an um, established research firm. It's very interesting. And I, uh, I saw a little graphic on Facebook. I couldn't actually get the real sourcing of it. And I didn't know where they got the data, but it was effective. So I'm going to explain it. Basically, it showed a CAFO, a confined animal feeding operation, a kilogram of beef and showed, you know, a very high impact, 10, you know, 10 times uh, grass fed, just general grass fed. Then it showed general grass fed, which is, you know, about a 10th of that. Then it showed the impossible burger and the beyond meat burger, which are both smaller than grass fed, but still have a, you know, they're still emitting net emitting carbon into the atmosphere. And then there was the results of this study, which showed the white oak pastures beef at negative three and a half, uh, kilograms of carbon per kilogram of fresh meat. And that was very impressive. It sort of pushes back up against this techno utopian, you know, future of food, lab grown meat idea and says, look, if you're actually doing a really excellent job with holistic management grazing, integrated multi-species, then you can have this positive impact where you're pulling carbon down into the soil. Uh, and to have this showed by a very respectable international firm doing life cycle assessment, I thought was uh, a pretty big deal and a, a big step for the regenerative agriculture industry. 
Yeah, and I, I definitely invite everyone to look at the study. It's very, very uh, readable. I mean, there, there are, I think, 30 or 40 slides. And they ask a lot of questions as well because they didn't look at water. They didn't look at a lot of other things. They really kept it to carbon, carbon. Um, so the, the potential um, negative and positive things could be much bigger. And they were, there are actually quite some questions around methane. So they were very, very conservative on methane, although, and I know there are a lot of discussions, you know that as a farmer probably much better, of the, the, the birching and the burping of cows and how much of that methane is being absorbed immediately or relatively immediately by the grass bacteria and how much actually goes up in the air. So there's, there's still a lot of conservancy around this data, but it's... Um, I think the first time we've we've seen and sort of proven um, that climate positive beef is actually possible, apart from the whole d discussion obviously around animal welfare and should we be eating it, that's a different discussion. But from the climate side of things, there there are some interesting signals here. Definitely, and I think it's I think it's exciting. I think it's also just in tracking the overall regenerative agriculture industry. This is a, a real ripple that's starting to happen from General Mills, one of the largest ag players in the world getting into this realm. So they have funded a number of things in the last couple of months. There was an announcement of a $650,000 grant to a series of nonprofits that are doing soil health trainings in the Midwest. Gabe Brown is involved in that, right? Yeah, exactly. Gabe Brown, Ray Archuleta, Kiss the Ground, another uh, allied not-for-profit organization is involved as well. So, and then here's this thing on a totally different angle where General Mills supported this study to happen. So I think that the ripples we're seeing from that are pretty significant and we can expect them to increase in the coming year. Yeah, which is a nice plug because I'm going to interview them really soon. So if you have any suggestions um, of what I should ask, uh, let me know. And I definitely will, will ask about their purchasing powers and how they're using that. Of course, the big announcement of their gigantic farm. It's not their farm, but the farm they're helping to convert uh, to regenerative or on the way to regenerative is very interesting. What I was missing in this study or what I would love to see is something on costs and, and profitability and risk and um, seeing how that actually, um, in this case, um, hits the bottom line of uh, of white oak uh, uh, pasture and how that's different from a lot of the CAFOs we see and how close they are to basically being bankrupt in, in many cases. Yeah, we basically have very, very few studies on the financial capital profitability of regenerative agriculture. Um, you know, we can look to some of the folks that Cohen has interviewed on the podcast, uh, SLM Partners, uh, Iroquois Valley, Farmland LP, many of these are investment funds that are making a go at returning investment to investors through organic or, you know, further towards regenerative agriculture approaches. But a lot of their work is based on the land and the real asset value of the land. There was one study that I wrote about a couple months back in the newsroom that was on corn and uh, corn profitability using what they called regenerative agriculture practices, which were definitely not. They were basic conservation, tillage, really kind of simple, straightforward, good, organic and agroecological farming practices, um, looking at about 15 different far farms farming corn. But the results of the study were very interesting. Even though I wouldn't call it regenerative, the farms that were implementing more of these practices, they had a slightly lower yield per acre on their corn, but the profitability was as much as 75% greater than the standard industrial tillage and chemical intensive agriculture. So that's a sort of hint, and I agree, it would be great to see more studies that look into the 
financial profitability, we know the ecological, the living capital profitability of regenerative agriculture is huge. Let's start to see more of it, uh, or hope that we see more of it on the financial side. No, absolutely. And actually, I've been making some summaries of some of the interviews I've done in the past and going through them again, the word profitability or showing that it is more profitable, this way of agriculture keeps coming back in many, many of the interviews. So there's definitely something there. And obviously, there's the there are the financial returns and the non-financial returns. And we have to hopefully, in more beautiful infographics, show the profitability on, on both of those uh, types of returns because they are, they are there. And, and it's just a shame to, to not talk about um, when we talk about inputs and outputs. Great. Well, aside from, I, there's some really interesting articles in this month's newsroom that we're not going to talk about having to do with government legislation and its relationship to regenerative agriculture, touching on the Green New Deal, uh, a consortium of, of companies with 750,000 employees asking for a carbon price. There's some really interesting stuff on the policy side of things. Yeah, but uh, there was one other article that you honed in on, Kuhn, that was... Uh, focused on standards and so maybe talk a little bit about that yeah it's an it's an old friend we, we've discussed it before so process versus outcome based standards savory obviously was mentioned so it was the green biz uh, article and I wanted to to give a shout out to the outcome based um, ones to to really be ambitious here we've been discussing it many times um, a bit regenerative isn't good enough we're, we're running out of soil and time so I would strongly hope that we see more and more outcome based and more and more real discussions on the results on and in and above the land instead of just small steps. Now let me push you on this a little bit because in the last couple of months I've had the opportunity through my work at How Good to be working with some of the larger uh, CPG corporate players that are in food and ag and kind of pushing into the regenerative space. What, what is CPG for the people not in the space? Uh, consumer packaged goods. Sorry. So these are the, the large companies like Danone would be an example or... Um, you know, General Mills or Unilever who are, who are producing goods, including food uh, for consumers. And as I've connected and worked with some of these companies, there's been some pushback against outcome-based standards. Um, and because it's too difficult or too ambitious? Yeah, it's hard because we, it's really it's hard to measure. We don't have a quick, easy way to just, you know, you can't plug a probe in the ground and say, what's the soil carbon and how has that changed? There's stuff coming from the quick carbon side of things, but it's not really there yet. And, and how do you quickly ascertain whether biodiversity has increased or not in an objective way to show the outcomes? It's, you know, you need to be a PhD level scientist, some people say, to do species counts and track it all. So they're sort of saying, yes, we want to get to outcomes. Yes, we want to be measuring there. But in the meantime, we need to be tracking what's happening. And in a lot of cases, using a process-based outcome, for example, what practices are being used? Is no-till being used? Are you integrating you know, agroforestry systems uh, into your crop production? Are you rotating animals through? Those are process-based indicators, but they aren't necessarily outcomes. And so, I don't know, a, a bit of me is sort of saying, okay, yes, we want to get to outcomes, but shouldn't we have some really good indicator processes that we're also looking at now? I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, uh, we've discussed this also before. There's agroforestry and agroforestry, and there's no-till and no-till. And, and just like we have organic and organic, it, it still doesn't guarantee their outcomes. And, and maybe some of this budget, and hopefully more, has to be spent on making these measurements easier and, and actually getting to a probe that, that, that you can put in the ground and tells you that. Or, and actually, that's, it's a, an interview that just, I just put online coming from a very small nonprofit with uh, the Bionutrient Association that 
promises, and it's still a few years away, but a device that basically measures your, your nutrient levels, uh, your nutrient level, meaning the nutrient levels of the produce, on the spot and, and showing that connection to healthy soils. So maybe we should be spending more of our, our research and, and money on making those outcomes more easily be, um, be checked and, and, and verifiable so we actually can connect them to the real impacts because otherwise we have amazing processes but in 10 years from now we, we haven't really hit our, hit our goals in terms of, of acres and, and carbon stored. I don't know. Let's let's uh, let's see. Let's let's carry this to next month's podcast and and see what we think. Because I'm I'm finding more and more arguments for a short term process based solution that leads to outcomes. But let's see. What else is uh, what else has been happening out there in the world of podcasts this month? So uh, actually, General Mills, who we just discussed before, was on the Food Tank podcast of Danielle Lichtenberg. And it was actually quite interesting, their, their journey, but also uh, some of the, the issues they've been having or the challenges they've been having on regenerative agriculture. But they've been very vocal and it seems to be, if you look at the articles this, uh, this week and of the, the, the research we just mentioned, that they are doubling down and they're actually they're flexing their muscles and getting much more active in the space. So I'm very look, much looking forward to interview them myself. Um, I just put an uh, interview online with Dan Kittridge, like what I mentioned before with the Bionutrient Association, super cutting edge stuff. I got the, the Bionutrient meter actually myself last week or two weeks ago and still need to play with it. Um, but it's, the promise is very, very interesting. If you can connect healthy soils, healthy produce and healthy people and of course healthy ecosystems, and there, there will be quite an interesting change in, in agriculture early early states but super interesting to listen to some of these visionaries and another one actually on a much larger 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 scale um, how to get agroforestry systems to to landscape and watershed levels i had the great pleasure to interview braza actually one of your colleagues um, at Terragenesis, and it was was very interesting to see the tech version or the tech approach to what what should we plant where and why and when it comes to trees that's quite an interesting or quite an important um decision because at the end of the day they don't have legs and they cannot walk so you as an investor as a farmer as an entrepreneur you need to be very sure where you plant your trees for the next 30 40 50 100 years yeah and if you're into gis and sort of mapping uh technical analysis approaches to thinking about this definitely listen to that podcast and check out the work that brasa is doing uh very very interesting way to look at a whole watershed a whole bioregion scale and identify okay where is the best spot for a chestnut plantation where should we put it be putting in you know cacao coconut agroforestry like what is the best spot given it in a certain bioregion to yeah it was fascinating absolutely fascinating if you're you know any other suggestions on people to interview in that space uh, definitely uh, let me know and what about events what have you been to? What should people look out for for the next uh, next few weeks slash months? I was just at the Transform event in California. I uh, hosted a panel with Paul McMahon from SLM Partners and Alex from Iroquois Valley. Uh, I did get a recording of it. Um, I'm going to see if I can get that up and available. It's a really good conversation about business models and investment structure and uh, the numbers that they're they're working with. Upcoming events, a couple in the fall that are, I think, pretty important. Uh, there's a Regenerative Earth Summit uh, happening in Colorado. I'm helping to co-organize this year. There's a special one-person or one-day in-person leadership 
event that's just the day before, really for leaders inside of companies that are moving forward on regenerative agriculture. I'm excited about that. Uh, and then the Regenerative Business Summit, you can find out more about that at the Regenerative Business Summit website, but this is really focused on how do we take the idea of regeneration and bring it into business, not just what you do, not just agriculture, but how you run the business. Uh, if you have questions about that, feel free to, to reach out. I thought um, maybe we could wrap up with a little conversation about jobs. Um, I noticed that in last month's newsroom, uh, the jobs that were listed, I think there was only one regenerative agriculture job, got a huge amount of attention. Um, and there's a couple more that uh, we'll post in this month's Regeneration Newsroom. Some very kind of exciting looking jobs working with systemic and soil capital. Uh, there's a regenerative agriculture and nature-based solutions uh, position. And then also um, some other very interesting jobs that are coming up. We're not quite at the spot yet where I can do a jobs board, though I'd love to. There just isn't quite enough demand yet. Uh, for particular you know, professional jobs in the corporate space that are working on this. But I think it's going to be happening more and more. So if you have job listings uh, or things that are not even full listings, but you're just interested in looking for someone, please let me know. We'd love to start being a place to aggregate and sort of let people know when jobs are posted in the regenerative agriculture space. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I see a lot of interest from people wanting to get in the space. I think my main tip would be get into the large-scale farming side of things there's an incredible demand uh, for people that are that both speak the the financial language that can read spreadsheets um, and that that are able to to manage large farms and there's a there's an incredible demand i think i can place 10 or 20 people tomorrow if if they would have the experience and and the mindset yeah so it's uh, there's there's definitely but it's very specific i understand for most people that's not their thing but if you if that is your thing definitely let me know yeah and if it's not your thing maybe consider making it your thing because there's the demand is just going to grow there will be work for the next 50 years and grow and grow and there's a great training the regrarians are offering a hybrid in-person online training if you have some farming experience uh, this would be an awesome way to up your integrative design, regenerative agriculture skills, um, the regrarians training that's coming up. And just in general, yes, the demand for farmers is huge and will only continue to increase as more and more corporates start saying, hey, we want regenerative agriculture, but there's no supply. We need people farming that. That's part of why I have a farm. So yeah, go for it. Perfect. And I think with that, we, we are at the end of, of our time um, for this month super full newsroom definitely check out all the articles we didn't discuss they're all worth reading and uh, we'll see you next month